a beautiful theme song. You know, I don't know if you notice, you have your, pro- your program. Uh, what is Jesus doing in that program? Yeah, it was pointed out to me last night. I didn't realize that. The perfect cover for my message last night. Jesus the carpenter. Now, tonight we're going to look at a different aspect of Jesus' ministry. I'm going to, we're going to talk a little bit about his teaching ministry. Uh, uh, other than um, the healing ministry, which tends to draw our attention to it, because his healing, uh, when he healed someone, it was so dramatic, it had such, such an impact on the community, uh, the teaching ministry is the one that we see the most. Actually, there's more said about his teaching ministry, and he teaches more in the Bible than any other thing he does. If you were to do a line-by-line comparison, probably four times as, as many lines in the Bible on, uh, of Jesus teaching than healing and other things. You know, some of the other miracles he performed. So, tonight we're going to take a look at that. So, it's my custom to open with a word of prayer. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Father in heaven, thank you for all that you do for us. Bless us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, the master teacher. Now, I'm going to go pretty quick through these, so you may want to write them down and read them later on. But in Matthew 7.28, it says that when Jesus had finished, this is the end of that famous Sermon on the Mount, it says that when he finished his teachings, the people were amazed. In Matthew 13, 54, it says they were astonished at his teachings. Matthew 22:33, they marveled at this man in the way he spoke. One of my favorite ones, John 7, 46, these are the Pharisees, the same people that were angry with Jesus, And they said, never have they heard a man speak the way this man speaks. Friend or foe, believer and atheist alike agree at least on one aspect of Jesus of Nazareth's ministry. And that is, he was the greatest teacher that ever lived. Amen? Now, I've talked to people, atheists, non-believers, agnostics, who will say, well, you know, Confucius was a great teacher. And... They'll point out, you know, Siddhartha Gautama was a great... The Buddha is a great teacher. And they'll mention some of these great teachers that have lived. But even they agree, even these agnostic, atheist people agree, Jesus must have been the greatest teacher that ever lived because look what his followers were willing to do. Think about that for a moment. Multitudes of people followed Jesus around from place to place just to hear a message from his mouth, from his lips. They put up with all kinds of inconvenience. Think about that. You know, here we're out in this nice nature country setting, but, you know, we have a tent over us tonight. And even if it rained, it might drip a little bit, but it wouldn't be too bad. You know, I was on a conference camp meeting a few years ago. Arizona doesn't rain very often. But at the Spanish camp meeting one year, we had the worst downpour I've ever seen in my life. And even with that downpour, just a little bit of water was getting through the roof. It was a little bit inconvenient. But think about the audiences in Jesus' day. They followed him from place to place to hear a word from him. They sat on rocks. They sat on uncomfortable ground in the woods, on the hillside, by the Sea of Galilee. And when you're by a sea, you know what else is by a sea? Bugs, mosquitoes 
surprise. Can you imagine sitting there with all these things, distractions? Now, think, you know, deep back in those days. Think about this. When a preacher's in a pulpit, I remember one time going, listening to a fellow preach. Church of about 200. I get there, we were a little late because we were coming, we were actually driving through town on our way someplace else. We pull into this church, and we get out of the car, race in to go to church, jump in, get, you know, get in right as the sermon's about to start. We come in, we sit down. Preacher gets up and he starts preaching. And within seconds, he had competition. His competition was in the form of about a three-month-old. And I want to tell you, that three-month-old was singing or preaching or doing whatever it was with all the gusto it possessed. There was no chance. That preacher didn't have a chance. Not a chance. A couple of times you could see him look over, but he didn't want to make too strong an eye contact with the parent. He was trying to be kind, but wow, he didn't have a chance. Can you imagine how many children were in the crowd? In Jesus' day, there were thousands of kids running around. Here's the amazing thing about it, though. They must have been pretty reverent. They must have heard something from Jesus that they wanted to listen to as well. Because we don't hear about those distractions very much. But they were there. Trust me. Large numbers of people followed Jesus to the desert, to the hillside, to the sea, to hear him preach. Not a problem too many preachers have these days. He didn't have a problem getting a crowd. And here's the reason why. When they heard Jesus, they felt like they were receiving a message from God himself. And indeed, they were. Someone stole my punchline. Who are you out there? I heard it. (laughs) They were. They were receiving a word from God himself. What an amazing thing. Today, let me share with you a few reasons for the effectiveness of Jesus' ministry. And then we'll see how that applies to us today in 2013. First of all, when Jesus spoke, he spoke with authority. I'll never forget as long as I live the commercials. Two tennis players, you know, it's a tennis match and it must be Wimbledon or the U.S. Open or whatever. And they're going back and forth. One guy leans over to his friend and he says, well, you know, my stockbroker says so and such and such and such. And the other guy says, well, my stockbroker is E.F. Hutton. And do you remember those? How many of you remember those commercials? What happens next? The guys grab the ball. The tennis players are listening. Everybody's listening. And E.F. Hutton's famous line, when E.F. Hutton speaks, what's the rest of it? People listen. When Jesus spoke, people listened. E.F. Hutton was supposedly an authority on the stock market. So everybody wanted to hear what E.F. Hutton had to say about stocks. Well, maybe that's important. My case, I'm not even worried about it. I don't think I'll ever make it to retirement anyway. I think the Lord's coming too soon. But if I do make it to retirement, I'm not worried about that either. God will take care of me. But I'm thinking about this. If he was an authority on stocks, shouldn't Jesus be an authority on life? Shouldn't we stop everything we're doing to hear a word from Jesus? Not just life, but life eternal he's an authority on. When Jesus finished the Beatitudes, and when he finished, excuse me, the Sermon on the Mount, people were amazed at the words that he spoke. There was an unmistakable tone of certitude when he spoke. 
You know, Jesus often started His message something like this. Verily, verily, if you have a King James Version, or truly, truly. Or if you're using the Way Bible, the Living Translation, I like the Way. It's one of the few things in that Bible I actually like. Instead of truly, truly, or verily, verily, when He starts that message in the Way, the Living Translation, it says, with all the earnestness I possess, I tell you this. It's as if Jesus was saying, whatever you heard before, I'm going to straighten it out. I will be the final authority on this word. As if to say, if you've heard it right, I'm going to make it concrete. If you heard it wrong, I'm going to clear it up. I'm going to make it plain. Wow, he spoke with authority. There was no question about it. In fact, Nicodemus recognized that authority. John chapter 3. We all know John chapter 3 because it has the most famous verse in the Bible in it. What verse is that? 16, which starts out, For God so loved the world. And it explains the, the subject of God's love and salvation that He gave His only Son. I use that verse for so many things. I even use it for the state of the dead. I even use it for the subject of hell. Hey, you wonder, how do you do that? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not what? Perish! doesn't say should not burn in hell forever. No, should not perish, but have everlasting life. That verse can be used for a multitude of things. An incredible verse. Think about it. Those words were spoken to one person. And billions of people know what that verse says. You know who the person was? A man named Nicodemus. He used to have a sermon. You know, I was a youth pastor at one time. You had to be creative when you work with young people because their minds are going 100 miles an hour. So I called the sermon Nick at Night. Okay? And so all the kids said, oh, well, let's go. Let's go see Nick at Night. Well, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, right? So here comes Nicodemus to Jesus. And what does he call Jesus? Rabbi. The original Greek implies master teacher. Teacher, we know that you are a good man come from what? God. For nobody can do the things you do unless God is with him. He recognized where Jesus got his authority. John 14, 6. Very, very famous verse. One, a memory verse for all of us. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. He not only preached truth, but he embodied truth truth proceeded out of his mouth and people knew it he spoke with authority secondly second reason why jesus was so effective in his teaching ministry is that he spoke graphically i'll never forget i won't tell you where this sermon was preached but i remember going to a church service you know i've been a ministerial director in a couple of different conferences so i get a i get a way at you'll have to guess where this was preacher went up to the pulpit put his bible down he had a handful of notes. Not 10, not 12, not a skeleton outline. He had not only the skeleton outline, he had the sinews, he had the muscles, he had the capillaries, he had the organs. That sermon was that thick. It looked like he brought the Manhattan phone book and laid it down in the pulpit. And I said, I looked at my son and my daughter, I said, we're in for a long one, kid. As I sat there, he started out, and he leaned forward, and he said, Today we're going to look at 47 timeless truths 
from the Bible in order of their importance. He didn't even look at the alphabetically and maybe even chronologically and blah, 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 blah. And one tone. Now, I don't dare sing because I'm somewhere between no tone and a dial tone. But this guy was monotone. And I am good because I sit there taking notes all the time. But I could not. After he got to about point thirteen, I said, this sermon has 47 points, but it's pointless. And, you know, and I, I kind of gave up. I said, I can't stay awake. Help me, Lord. I don't want to fall asleep in church. I don't want to be like you to catch. You know, please help me stay awake. I know I can get something out of this. And so I sat there trying to write notes. Jesus did not speak in a boring way. Amen? He spoke in such a way it was graphic. People could understand it. He used things. He was the Rembrandt, if you will, of word pictures. He was the Norman Rockwell of word pictures. He knew... Back then, 2,000 years ago, what developmental psychologists and linguistic experts are just learning over the last half a century. That most people think in pictures. They don't think in words. They say that 80 plus percent of people are visual. About 15% or so are auditory, and a very small percentage are kinesthetic. Those are the ones that have to actually feel it or experience it in order to understand it. Well, Jesus used all those methods, but the one he used the most was visual. He wanted people to see a word picture. I love the way he spoke. Think about this one. Jesus is teaching on self-sufficiency. Jesus used contemporary illustrations. Here Jesus is about to explain how, why rich men have a difficult time making it to heaven. He looks out and he sees a camel lurching through the desert, points at it, and tells his disciples and those listening, see that camel over there? It's easier for that big, ugly, spitting creature to fit through this knitting needle. I have a needle than it is for a rich man to enter heaven. Now, I've heard the commentators say, wait a second, no. There's this little portal in the walls of Jerusalem. The camel has to take the pack off in order for it to fit through that little... I think he was talking about a real knitting needle. You know why? Because it's impossible for a camel to fit through an eye of a needle. And it is impossible for us to be saved unless God divinely intervenes. Amen? That's why I think he was talking about a real needle. When he held the needle up, I'm sure his disciples and those in the audience said, that can't happen. And that's why Jesus said, you're right, it can't happen. Only if God changes the heart can it happen. What an incredibly graphic illustration. My favorite one is his Jesus' teaching on hypocrisy. Think about this one. Picture a guy with a big two-by-four stuck in his eye. And he's wandering around, and his friend comes along and says, Hey, I got a, I got a little dust back in my I need to get it out. Hold on a second, I'll get it out for you. You know? I'm sure his audience are laughing, saying, That's impossible. How in the world is he going to get that little dust back when he can't even see with that beam stuck out of his eye? And Jesus said, That's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. Stop pointing fingers at everybody, stop judging people. Don't be a hypocrite. Take care of your own life. Don't judge others. Let God clean you up. Amen? What an incredible way 
Jesus spoke. Jesus would start many of his teachings by saying, Think of a lampstand or a flower. Consider the flowers of the field. The sparrow, a coin, a pearl, a sheep. Ever so graphic. And what an amazing storyteller he was. Jesus was here in 2013. Some of his stories might sound a little different. You try to think of what story this would be. There's a guy in, well, let's say South Lake Tahoe who decided he was going to move up to Reno and start a business. And he got all his money together and he started down the road and his car had some problems. He got over to fix the flat on his car. And as he got up there, he realized, oh, I'm in trouble. You know, I've got a spare, but I don't have a jack. And so he tries to wave someone down and sure enough, a van pulls over and a few guys get out and say, what's your problem? I need to fix my tire. And those guys punch him, beat him up, throw him on the ground, throw him in the ditch, fix the flat and drive his car away and take all his money. Poor guy's laying in the ditch and a log comes... Preacher Jones, he drives by and sees him down there and says, Boy, poor fellow, oh, that's terrible what he's gone through, but at least he's finished for the day. i got eight more meetings. I'd rather be him right now, and he drives right by him. And then the conference president drives by and sees him there and says, Woo, this is a scary neighborhood. Drive like you better drive faster. Get out of here. What story is that? The Good Samaritan. So it goes, if he was to continue, he'd say, and then some guy, and forgive me, I saw someone with a Harley shirt on the other day, but I'm going to use that example. Then a guy in a big motorcycle pulls on, he got a sidecar, pulls over, he's got the tats everywhere, and he's got, you know, more bling than you can imagine. He jumps off, and he starts walking over, and says, poor guy, he needs help. Picks him up, puts him in the sidecar, drives him to the hospital, pays his bill, and he doesn't even have an HMO. <laughs> Takes care of it and says, when he's better, put him up in that holiday in the cross, and I'll pay for that as well. Now, if Jesus was here today, he would use a contemporary illustration so we can understand. We could understand it clearly. He didn't use stories that couldn't be understood. What a storyteller. What a teacher. Jesus spoke graphically. He painted pictures, but he used every method known to man. He used parables, he used paradox, he used repetition, he used contrast and comparison. He even used hyperbole. You know what hyperbole is, right? Dictionary definition, hyperbole is a statement of extremes in order to make a point. Here's hyperbole. Jesus says, if you offend one of these little ones, put a millstone around your neck, throw it in the water. Was he telling you to commit suicide? Jesus didn't teach suicide. What he's saying is, don't be stupid and hurt one of these little ones that I love so much. He used hyperbole, a statement of extreme, in order to get our attention. What an incredible teacher. But he also, thirdly, spoke very practically. I love the teaching on brothers and sisters warring with each other. Have you, do, do you recognize that one? People would bring their offering. You know, they'd go to church. They'd go to the synagogue. They'd take care of things. They'd live a religious life, even if they had a big problem with a family member or some friend or a co-worker or whatever. Jesus said, don't play those religious games. Don't bring your offering to the altar. Go and reconcile with your brother or sister first. Take care of that. Then when you go to church, you'll feel free to worship. Think about it. Very practical, wasn't he? I love his teaching on anxiety. 
He said, don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough anxiety in itself. Just seek God today. Seek, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What an incredibly practical teacher he was. He would say things like, show special concern for little children, feed the poor, clothe the naked, visit those who are in prison. Very, very practical. Stop being greedy. You know, he even spoke to the Romans. You study the gospel. He wasn't afraid to speak to those Roman soldiers, powerful, strong soldiers with a spear and a sword. And look at it, look him in the eye and say, stop stealing, stop taking what doesn't belong to you. Can you picture saying that today? I, I can't imagine being back there in Roman times, looking a Roman soldier in the face and say, stop stealing. Return to them what belongs to them. Wow, he wasn't afraid to tell the truth, was he? What a powerful teacher he was. He answered life's most complex questions, and he answered questions even on the end of time about his coming. You know, we all know the parallel prophecies in Mark 13, Luke 21, Matthew 24 about what would take place just before he came again. He made it clear. He explained how to live in the workplace, how to handle your marriage better, how to deal with children, how to have good friendships, how to share the good news that he came to save us. And at the end of this Sermon on the Mount, he comes down and he he gives this incredible teaching of a man who built his house on sand and another who built on the rock. And then he wraps it all up by saying, if you want to be wise, build your house on the rock. I could hear people in the audience. I could almost imagine what they were saying, looking at each other saying, boy, this makes so much sense. It's so clear. It's so practical. He spoke with authority. He spoke graphically. He spoke practically. But I'm sure some of you are saying, so, okay, what does this have to do with me today? Well, I've heard people say, well, Jesus' ministry, has, his teaching ministry has long since ceased. You know, it's, it's over with. He went back to heaven. He doesn't still teach on planet Earth. Or does he? What does the Bible say? If you were to take that same chapter, Matthew 24, and look at verse 35, it would tell you that heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus speaking, but my words will by no means pass away. His words are still effective to us today, amen? The teaching ministry of Jesus continues in 2013, and it will continue until we are taken to his kingdom made new. When I look at this, I start thinking, well, what, is, what does that mean to me today? How do I apply that to my life? What can I do to strengthen that walk with him? What can I do to hear a word from him today? There are a lot of people who have asked me the same question. And as a pastor, it's painful when people will come to me and say, Oh, pastor, I just wish Jesus would talk to me. I wish God would talk to me today. I went to visit someone one time, a member of one of my churches. I walked in the house. I knew they were going through a rough time because they're hit and miss members. You know, they weren't in church very often. So I went by and went to visit with this man. His wife was very faithful. She was there all the time, very involved in the church. But I went and sat down with him and I, and I asked him, Bill, you know, what is it? Why is it you're not in church very often? Why don't you come to the prayer meeting? Why don't you come to any of the special events? He goes, well, he goes, uh, I just don't feel God's talking to me. I said, okay. I said, do you have a Bible? He said, yeah, I do. I said, have you opened it recently? He looked at me, well, what are you trying to say? 
I said, where's your Bible? He said, it's over there. It was on a coffee table. One of those coffee tables are like two-tier, and it was on the bottom shelf. There were books and magazines on top of it. I said, do you mind if I slide these? Oh, no problem. Slid them off. I walked over. Before I handed them the Bible, I did one of these. Okay, here's your Bible. Do you want to hear Jesus talk to you? you want a word from God? The first way is by studying His Word. In the moments that remain in our message tonight, I want to share with you four ways you can hear a word from Jesus tonight. Very important. The first one is we need to study God's Word. Let God speak to us. I, I mentioned in the first night that, you know, we used to be called people of the Word, right? The Adventist church were people of the book. That's what we were called, people of the book. Why not so much anymore? I don't know. Maybe we've given up on studying it. I hope not. I hope every one of us would study. I remember asking, uh, or preaching one time at um, Laurelwood Academy. Do any of you remember Laurelwood Academy? I was asked to do a week of prayer. The school had already closed, and it was reopened kind of independently. And I was there as a preacher, and I remember saying, well, I, don't even, I don't even remember how this got into my sermon or whatnot. But I must have said something about Proverbs because a few years later, I had a wedding for an individual at Monterey Bay Academy. Well, actually, the wedding was at the Watsonville Church. They did the reception at Monterey Bay Academy. And there at the reception, a guy comes up to me and he says, do you recognize me? And, you know, you preach all over the country and you don't want to say no. So I said, well, I, I, I kind of, you look familiar. And they said... A young person, probably about 20, 21 years old, said, I did the sound system uh, for, the, for the service today, for the wedding service. I said, oh, okay, well, you did a great job. No problem. I appreciated the way you ran that sound. It was beautiful. He said, I was also a student at Laurelwood Academy when you came and did a week of prayer. And he said, you know what? Ever since your week of prayer, I have read one chapter of Proverbs every day. I said, wow. He said, it's changed my life. He said, and not only has that changed my life, but because I'm reading a proverb every day, I decided, well, I'll add a New Testament chapter and an Old Testament chapter and a psalm. Now I'm reading eight, ten chapters a day from the Bible. So praise the Lord. How's that going? It's going great. Got a stronger relationship with God today than I've ever had in my life. He said, you mentioned that Proverbs is a perfect book to read one chapter a day. I said, really? What did I say? <laughs> Remind me. He said, because it has 31 chapters. So in a 31-day months, you can read one a day. If it's only 30, you leave out the last one, 31. And if it's a 28, you, know, you have to leave out three. But you can study a chapter a day. And he did it every day. And you want to know something? This kid's life was strong. If you study God, if you've been studying the Word five minutes a day, change it to 10. It'll strengthen your walk with it. If it's been 15, go to 30. If it's been 30, try an hour. You'll be amazed what happens as you study God's Word. I hear so many people tell me I'm having struggles in my life. I'm, I'm frustrated. And then I find out they don't read the Bible. Well, you read your Bible, you won't be quite as frustrated. God wants to speak to us through His book. There have been a number of times where I'm reading along and all of a sudden there's exactly the verse I needed. It was just for me. Have you ever had that happen? I've even had it happen where... Pop the Bible open. One of those. And God's used that. I remember one time I was contemplating uh, making a move. You know, I had gotten a call from three different conferences. Alaska, Oregon, 
and Texas. So I was I opened my Bible and and sure enough it said you know something about going to the east and I said wait a second now I can't go to the east and get to Alaska or or I was in New Jersey at the time and I'd say well yeah maybe I can because if you go east eventually you'll hit that side of the world. <laughs> but then okay I don't know how that works. But then I've had other times where I was praying for someone and a verse spoke to me and said. This person needs to hear this. God will speak to you as you read his word. That's the number one way to hear from God today. Second way, and I make no apologies about this, is the study of spirit of prophecy. I love the writings of Ellen White. Now I've, shared, I've been sharing with you each night, Desire of Ages. And I appreciate what, what the preacher said this morning in the Daniel 11 class. Because when I do an evangelistic meeting, I don't quote one very, every single doctrine of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is founded on the Bible. The Bible and the Bible only. When I'm holding a series of meetings and it's visitors and non-believers, non-Adventists, even maybe atheists, I preach nothing but the Bible. But the Bible tells me in the great story of Jehoshaphat and his battle with those four kingdoms, if we trust God's prophets, if we listen to them, we will be established. We will be strengthened. So don't be afraid to read her word. I have to tell you that some of the greatest experiences I've ever had have been studying the writings of Ellen White. Desire of Ages, I commend it to you tonight. Read it. Steps to Christ. I've read that book probably 150 times. I love reading Steps to Christ. Even though it's simple. Explains some simple things. I love reading Great Controversy. Have you ever read The Great Controversy? You want to know why our world is in the mess it's in? There's not a better book on earth to explain that. Fantastic, the writings of Ellen White. You can hear God speak to you when you read those words. The third way God communicates to us is sometimes simply through Christian believers, other believers. He comes to us and communicates through an individual. So many times I've had it happen where someone has come to me and said, Ed, you know, you probably shouldn't do this. It's probably not a wise thing to do. And I've thought about it and said, yeah, you know, they're probably right. Or I've had an experience where someone will tell me, hey, you know, read this book. Try this book. It's a beautiful book. And I read it and something special jumps out to me. I used to read books by, you know, George Vandeman. I've read them all, every book he's ever written. So, you know, I may have to go back. But, you know, Morris Venden or Maxwell or HMS Richards or something. Fantastic books. Books by some of non-Adventist authors I love to read, like Philip Yancey. I don't know if any of you have ever read Philip Yancey, but I love the way he writes. John Stott, Tony Campolo. Grew up in Philadelphia, so I could kind of relate to him. City Boy. Even Billy Graham, I've read recently the book, Just As I Am, Billy Graham's biography. Incredible, some of the amazing experiences he had. Speaking to presidents, praying for them. Incredible. Sermons I've listened to. I've heard amazing sermons of, of individuals I listen to. I, I, have, I have a CD player in my, in my pickup, well, it's not a pickup truck, it's an expedition, Ford Expedition. By the way, if, if you're faithful to God... He makes things run a long time. That car has got 393,000 miles on it. I've never, done, I've never done anything to it but tires. I do my own brake jobs, change the oil, and, you know, occasionally change a battery or something like that. 
It's unbelievable. Yeah, I don't even do that. <laughs> well, yeah, I agree on the oil, oil filter, right? But what's amazing is this car just keeps running. And he's got to keep it running because I don't have any money to buy a new car. But I think about that. And I have a CD player and it holds a few CDs. I put the CDs in there. I listen to sermons. Sometimes those sermons just touch my life. I had a fellow tell me one time in one of the churches I pastored. He said, you know, I'm not a good reader. I never have been a good reader. It'll take me an hour to read one chapter of the Bible. So I said, you know what? I'm going to get you a gift for Christmas. I bought him. This was back in the days of cassette tapes. I bought him a set of New Testament on cassette tapes. I think there were 12, if I'm not mistaken. And I bought him, and he said it was the best gift he'd ever gotten in his life. He put those cassette tapes in and listened to the Bible. If, you can't, if you're not a good reader, listen to the Bible. Oh, watch the Bible. They even have DVDs now that you can watch the Bible with beautiful scenery in the background and so forth. The Bible says, Romans, Paul's writing, faith comes by what? Hearing. And what does hearing come by? The Word. If we're going to grow, we need to listen to God's Word. I'll never forget, God speaks through people in dramatic ways. It was a, when I was at Garden State Academy, there was a big tall kid. His name was Deshaun. And Deshaun and I played on the same intramural basketball team, so we got along well. However, when he would play at rec time, he wasn't on my team. And every once in a while, the principal of the academy, a guy named David, a little short fellow, uh, Indian, not Native American Indian, but from India, would yell out, Pastor Keys, we have a problem. What's the matter? Deshaun is picking on the kids. He didn't want to deal with it. So he called the biggest guy he could think of, me. And so I'd go over there and talk to him. So many times I said, Deshaun, stop beating up these little kids. You know, I said, leave them alone. I said, come on. You know, we'd take a walk, and he'd feel like I was lecturing him, but I was just trying to get him away from the kids. Then we had this little kid come, 13 years old. His name was Hector. Little Hector, he was a peanut of a guy. I had the smallest guy I've ever seen in a 13-year-old body. Deshaun had him. One time, and he did the wedgie on him, and he pulled his underwear up on him. The kid was screaming and crying. Someone said, Pastor Keys, we need help. I was right outside the gym door. Came in. I said, enough is enough, Deshaun. You and I are going for a walk. This time, though, I'm the only one coming back from the walk. I grabbed him. I started walking. I had him, one arm on his bicep, the other arm on his neck. This was pre-corporal punishment laws, by the way. So we were walking. We were going to walk down to the woodshed, if you know what I mean. And I had him, I said, listen, I'm your size. You want to hit someone, I'll give you the first shot. And after that, it's over. The maintenance man came along. He said, Ed, what are you doing? He grabbed me, he goes, leave him on. So he grabbed me, pulled me aside. And I said, I'm tired of this guy picking on everybody. He said, well, Ed, think about it this way. You know, he's a child of God. I said, I know that. He said, what if he was your own son? What would you do? I said, if he was my son, I'd beat the living daylights out of him. <laughs> I said, I wouldn't want my son doing that to anyone. He goes, well, let me hear you. He tried a different tactic. He scratched his head and he goes, yeah, but, but what do you think Jesus would do? What would Jesus do? I said, oh, man, that's a tough one. I want to say Jesus would also beat the living daylights, but he probably wouldn't. So he said, you need to treat him like Jesus would. So I went back. I talked to him. Now, I'll make a long story short. We became best friends. In fact, he was kind of a troublemaker in school and eventually got his act together, went on to college, very productive uh, man in society, married, has a family, good guy. 
Let's leave it at that. But it took a word from a friend, a word from a friend that I believe was a word from God to touch my heart. Sometimes you're the friend giving the word from God, and sometimes you receive the word from a friend. Now, the last one I want to tell you about. Well, let me share with this. I quoted the other night, Steps of Christ, page 98. I didn't get the quote, quote exactly right, so I'm going to read it to you. It says, Those who are truly seeking for communion with God will be seen in the prayer meeting, and that could include vespers, small groups, whatever, Sabbath school, faithful to do their duty and earnest and anxious to reap the benefits they can gain. They will improve every opportunity of placing themselves where they can receive rays from light from heaven. Think about that. Whatever it takes to get into position to receive God's light, that's what we should be doing. Amen? The last way God speaks to us, the fourth way, sometimes He speaks to us directly, heart to heart. And when He does that, it's the scariest thing in the world. Only twice now. I've got a file cabinet, a four-drawer file cabinet that has over 500 sermons in it that I've written. Now, I don't know why, I only use a few of them more than once, you know. I'll use several of them, you know, the series type, I'll use those more than once. The evangelistic meetings, I'll use those and just refresh them and so forth. Testimonies, I'll do those more than once. But I've got this gigantic file drawer filled with all these sermons. Now, the reason why is because I've prayed and asked God to show me what I should preach on a particular week. There have been twice in my life where I've walked to the pulpit with a sermon, put it down, and somehow inside, something said, no, Ed, this isn't the sermon to preach today. I was scared to death. I said, could that be the devil trying to keep me from preaching? You know, and and I'd say one of those quick, you know what a Nehemiah prayer is, right? Just look over and say, Lord, help me. (laughs) You know, I'm about to die here. You know, that was Nehemiah's prayer, basically. And so I I would do, Lord, I I don't want to die in this sermon today. Help me. And sure enough, I'd put the sermon underneath the, we used to call it a chariot, put it under the chariot and just preach from my heart. And God would open his word. It's happened to me twice. Both times at the end of the message. One time at the end of the message, someone came up to me and said, you know, Pastor, I, I, I don't know why you preached on that subject today. But it's the thing that's been dealing with, I've been dealing the most with. I thank you because I think it's kept me close to you. I felt like walking away from God. That was the first time. Second time, there were some people from the Toastmasters in church that day. Now, you know, anyone knows what the Toastmasters, do you know what the Toastmasters are? You know, they're speaking, yeah, public speaking group. They came to hear what the preacher had, and that was in Lincoln City. They came to hear what the preacher had to say. They want to see what the Adventist preacher. You know, we get picked on a lot easier because there's only one Seventh-day Adventist, only one church going to church on Saturday. They could go. They have, to, they have a hard time hitting all the Sunday-keeping churches. So they came to hear me preach that day, and as I was, and that was another time I put away a sermon and gave a different sermon. I remember walking out, and one of the people, the head of the Toastmasters there, shook my hand and said, "Listen, I'm not a believer. I'm not a Christian." And I don't believe in, you know, the type of things that you were talking about today, but I know you believe it. There's no question about that. And a friend of mine was in tears when they walked out. Now, I don't know exactly what put them in tears, but I will say this. They were touched only because God spoke directly. 
I had an incredible experience. Let me just share this text with you, and then, and then we'll wrap this up. Romans chapter 8, 14 to 16. It says, For as many as are led by the what? Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God's Spirit working directly with us. Sometimes God will say, hey, stop what you're doing. It's not good. Or sometimes He'll speak to us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Sometimes He'll say, be careful with that you know, venture you're getting started with. Sometimes He just speaks in this direct and dramatic way. There have been times I've been sitting at my desk Literally, sitting at my desk, preparing to serve, someone will pop into my head. Now, that could happen. You know, that could be coincidence. But how many times it's happened where David pops into my head. I get on the phone and just call, hey, David, I was just thinking about it. Who told you to come? Have you had those experiences? How did you know? How did I know what? <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? How did you know? I'm, you know, my daughter left home today. You know, she was mad and ran out. Of, I'll be right there. Jump in my car. Yeah, I'm one of those old-fashioned preachers. I like to visit people. I just like people. And not only that, but you know, I've been as typically or generous. You know, you go visit people. That's why I weigh 50 pounds too much. I go visit people. And they give me food. First district I was in, I probably ate mm, 12 meals a day. I mean, it was amazing. Because I was going to make sure I visited everyone. But it's amazing how God works through that. Yes? The best and primary way God speaks to us is through His Word, the Bible. Also, if we would read a portion of Spirit of Prophecy each day, we'd be, we'd be touched. And if we visit church, small group, even camping, places like this, you'll find God speaking. But sometimes He speaks directly. I was working as a security guard in Atlantic City, New Jersey, working for the Tropicana Hotel and Casino. As it turns out, one night I was given the, the assignment of watching... The, uh, where, where the shuttle bus wa- uh, would pick people up to take them out to their cars in the carpool uh, place out on Atlantic City Expressway. That shuttle bus station fit about 20, 25 people. Well, that night there were probably 15 sitting in that shuttle bus stop waiting, and this was 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, waiting to go off shift and the next shift to come in. Shuttle bus, shuttle bus would come in, drop off the new people coming on, take the ones going off. Well, as I was sitting there, I had a Bible. I called it the mechanic's version of the Bible. It was greasy, it was dirty, and more than anything, it was falling apart. <laughs> I had pages that were just, it was ripped up. Very dark room, kind of an interesting room. The lighting's not like this, you know, it wasn't bright light, kind of dark lights, but it would be virtually impossible to read in that room because for whatever reason, black lettering on a white page it didn't pick it up real well. So I had my Bible, and I had tried to witness. You know, every night I try to share the gospel with someone. And this particular night I said, Lord, I'm through. I'm tired of people yelling at me. Give me a hard time for my faith. I said, if you want me to share my faith, you got to get the conversation started. Watch what you say. I had my Bible, and I had one of these big jackets. I, you know, the security guards that work for these casinos look like police officers. Had all the, you know, the Batman belt and everything. And so I took, 
I took my Bible, stuffed it in an inner pocket, big wide inner pocket, actually fit in, although it was a relatively small Bible. But as I put my Bible in and all the people were coming off shift, one of the pages slipped out and went to the floor. I looked down and I said, okay, that could be coincidence. This Bible's falling apart. That can't be God talking to me, right? And I said, okay. I looked down and sure enough, the page that fell out was from Acts chapter 18. Now, remember what I said? God, if you want me to speak, you have to get the conversation started. I didn't even reach for the page yet. And someone said, hey, what is that? Something fell out of your pocket. I said, well, it's a page of a book. I was going to make it hard on God. I wasn't going to be easy. And he said, "Um, what book? I said, a a very old book. (laughs) How old? I'm... Close to 2,000. You have a book that's 2,000 years old? So he goes, what kind of book is that? And I said, "Mm, Bible. Bible, kind of like that. The Bible? Well, well, why are you carrying around a Bible? Well, I'm a Christian. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? I looked down and I said, okay, Lord, this this is not fair. I looked down and the only letters I could see were the ones in red. Now, usually they're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're not in the book of Acts. But if you have a red-letter Bible, look at Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. In black, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. The words in red, the only letters I could see on the ground, say this as I was picking it off the ground. Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in Atlantic City. Well, at least that's what I thought it said. I picked that page of the Bible up off the ground, and I said, talk about being spoken to directly. I pulled my Bible out, stuck the page in there, I said, are you guys ready for a sermon? The blackjack dealer said, well, I'm not used to sermons, but go for it, buddy. One of the cocktail wagers said, well, I'm interested, I'm game. And before you know it, I had a Bible study with 15 casino employees. Amen? Sometimes God speaks to us directly. Study your Bible. Spend time in God's Word. Don't be, don't be like those that throw away spirit of prophecy. It will establish you. It will strengthen you if you study those words. Listen to those who preach and teach and give seminars and give Sabbath school classes. God has given them a gift as well. But don't be afraid. Be a little Pentecostal and let God speak to you directly. Amen? Because He wants to do that. If you pray for it, you'll be surprised. He'll give it to you. I want to challenge you tonight to just say, Yes, Jesus, I want to spend more time studying Your Word. If you're you're willing to do that, would you just raise your hand? Let's stand together and let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you tonight that you have promised in your word that as we study it, as we spend time in it, that you'll strengthen us. You'll give us everything we need. Father, if we just studied the four Gospels, we'd be amazed and our life would be strengthened. But you've given us 66 books in this in this book, this compilation called the Bible. And we're so thankful for that. 
Lord, they're Your words. It's a love letter from heaven. And so many times we neglect to spend time with it. I would pray that each one of these dear brothers and sisters here tonight might say, Yes, Jesus, I need to put more time into my daily study with You. Lord, I know if they'll do that, they'll be thankful. They'll never regret that time they spend. And Father, in a special way, help them to just be open to Your leading to let Your Spirit speak to their heart. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow.